Hey, Roger. Yeah. My uh, a, fr- a friend of mine and listener of the podcast, her name is Brooke. <laughs> Brooke. She says, do not worry about the spiders. They will eat the crickets. Oh. She can be our animal expert. She works oh. at Animal Adventures and like messes with kangaroos and uh, capybaras and all sorts of shit all the time. So That's awesome. Well, thank yeah. you, Brooke. That's uh, very comforting. And in the future, when this becomes a late night talk show, we can have you on like Carson had on. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Jack Hanna. Yeah. Dr. Jack. Hanna. <laughs> Bring out the alpaca. Yeah. Oh, it went for my nuts. You're listening to The Florida Man Murders, a true crime comedy podcast about murder, madness, mayhem, and other shady shit that goes down in the Sunshine State. Each week, your hosts, Chris, Roger, and Siege, take you on a dark, twisted journey through the bowels of the most wretched fiends and nefarious events throughout the history of Florida. And then make inane, quote-unquote, funny observations about it all, like the half-soused nitwits that they are. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the crazy, if you dare. It's, it's going to be a mystery for you and listeners to try and figure out. Oh, this is a, a, that's a lot of work. <laughs> what is, I don't like using my brain. But uh, anyway, it's uh, called uh, who, <laughs> who Killed the West Palm Beach Judge and His Wife? Who Killed Roger Rabbit? Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the title's okay. Who Killed the West Palm Beach Judge and His Wife? Yeah, the title needs work, but that's that's where we're going with. Okay, that's that's to- that's how you put the name of the podcast. Sure, who killed yeah. the West Palm Beach judge and his and wife? His wife. Yeah, the Part. title need <laughs> colon <laughs> the title needs work. Parentheses. The title needs work. <laughs> uh, brackets. Sorry. <laughs> Part one. <laughs> um. All right, bring it on. Okay, let's go. go. It's It's, uh, Dayline, June 15th, 1955. Manalapan, Palm Beach County. Manalapan. Do you know Manalapan? I do know Manalapan. Man, this guy is the resident (laughs) Florida geographer. Last week, he's like, that's not fucking where Mar a Lago is, you fucking Uh, piece of shit. Actually, on the water. Why did you call them out? And then two minutes later, okay, you did call them out. All right, yeah, it's west of 441. Christ. Yeah, man. Fucking the mayor of Palm Beach over here. Yeah, man. Listen, (laughs) they come to our pod for the truth. For facts. 100% facts. Like, we can't be flubbing (laughs) around with this stuff. No dilly-dallying with our... Yeah. All right, well, Manalapan. Uh, 1955, June 15th. Nalapam is in Palm Beach County. Yes. All right, cool. So, <laughs> on June 14th, 1955, at around 10 p.m., Judge Curtis Chillingworth 
and his wife, Marjorie, left a dinner party in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, and they went to their home. It's a beach house in Manalapan. Yes. The following day, a handyman named Frank Ebersol went to their home to do some work, uh, but found the house empty. Ooh. Ebersol had been hired by Judge Chillingworth to build a play area for his grandchildren. He was told to be there at 8 a.m., but when he got there, nobody was inside the house. The front door, however, was ajar. So, Ebersol walked inside. He called for the judge and his wife, but got no answer. He noticed that both Curtis and Marjorie's cars were in the garage, and Ebersol went to the back porch, and on the back porch he saw shards of broken glass and spots of what looked like drops of blood on the floor. Damn. He called Judge Chillingworth's office when he saw these things, um, but they told Ebersol that the judge had not yet come into the office. Later that morning, Chillingworth missed a 10 a.m. appointment. This began to worry people in his office. Chillingworth was known for being a punctual man, and a responsible man, so for him to skip out on a meeting was strange indeed. Even against his name. <laughs> yes. Uh, so officers were dispatched. Come on, somebody had to make the joke. His name, his name is Chilling, Chillingsworth. Chillingsworth. Chillingsworth, and he's on time all the time, and whatever. <laughs> Fuck. I just had to make the fucking joke. Just leave me alone. Had to come out. Had to come out. Had to come out. Let me get it out. Sorry. Um, so officers were dispatched to the Chillingworth house. <laughs> Chillingworth. Uh, and they too found the house empty and also noticed keys in the ignition to Judge Chillingworth's car. They also found the dry spots of blood and they noticed it led out to the beach. They also determined that the broken shards of glass were from a broken porch light. Further investigation determined that Chillingworth's bathing suits were still in the house, dry and unused. Marjorie's purse was there, with all her valuables still inside. And Curtis's wallet was also in the house and still filled with cash. Officers also found two used spools of adhesive tape, one in the sand and one in the living room. So... With all the valuables and cash still in the house, the only evidence of something shady having happened were the shards of glass and the spots of red blood that led out to the beach. So investigators began to wonder what happened to Judge Curtis Chillingworth and his wife. Was there an accident? Did they go for a long walk on the beach? Did they go skinny dipping and drown? It was a hurricane. Was there a hurricane? <laughs> Did he just slice his leg and he was walking out to the beach and slowly dripping out blood? Nothing happened. Right. End of story. Said, oh, End of story. fuck. I'm bleeding. Or was something more sinister at work? Ooh. We have a mystery. <laughs> Can you solve it? So, Curtis Chillingworth was born October 24th, 1896, to a prominent family in West Palm Beach, Florida. His grandfather, Richard, was mayor of West Palm Beach. 
Curtis's father. Dick Chillingworth. Dick Chillingworth was the mayor, Mayor Dick. Uh, Curtis's father, Charles, was city attorney for West Palm Beach. These people were basically the Kennedys of West Palm Beach. Uh, Curtis graduated from the University of Florida in 1917, and later that year was admitted to the Florida Bar. He also served at the Naval Base in Key West and attended the United States Naval Academy. Nice. In 1921, he was elected as county judge. Then in 1923, he was just 26 years old when he became the youngest circuit court judge in Florida history. And he actually still holds that record. Wow. Uh, the most. And by Florida law, is still on the scene. <laughs> still there. <laughs> the most Chillingworth would ever earn as a judge was $18,000. But he was able to build a small fortune in land, including an undeveloped beach parcel in Manalapan. Clearly, uh, no crypto bros back then. <laughs> no board one of those monkey pictures. It's too bad because you know I've got like an investment. You guys are like, really interested. In. Yeah, bro. There's a board ape that he should have invested in. What a fucking loser. <laughs> oh man. Now, around this time, organized crime began to make its mark across Florida. Yes. Starting with Ignacio Antinori, and then the Traficante family. Uh, these mobsters made money selling booze during Prohibition, and then eventually graduated to dealing heroin. Oh, good. Between the 1920s and the 1950s, he also made a fortune running the Bolitas racket. Oh, Bolitas, get some I guess back then there weren't that many off ramps between like rum running and fucking heroin. <laughs> yeah, just went yeah, boom, like, boom. <laughs> the guy that had rum was like, <laughs> I also have this other thing, and people really, really like it. And it gets them really addicted. Sure. Um, Bolitas was a type of lottery game popular among Florida's working class Hispanic, Italian, and black population. Uh, still, <laughs> still accurate. Like still, still a yeah. <laughs> uh, in a basic yep. bolita game, one hundred small numbered balls are placed into a bag and they are mixed around, and bets are taken on which number will be drawn. My mom loves bolitas. <laughs> uh, bets were typically small and sometimes sold well in advance. The game could easily be rigged by having extra balls of a given number or not including other numbers at all. Um, sometimes certain balls would be filled with lead, so they would sink to the bottom of the bag. And some balls were put in ice, so they would be cold, and, and therefore easy for, the, <laughs> easy for the selector to find by touch. The uh, New York the balls. Knicks, 1983. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Ewing effect. Yeah, the Ewing <laughs> Over time, Hispanics developed a name for each number in a system called Las Charadas, creating a superstitious method for interpreting game outcomes or placing bets, many times in accordance with one's dreams in a previous night. That's basically how I live uh, my life. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, along with the Bolitas racket... The Gambino crime family's criminal spree throughout Florida included labor and construction, racketeering, gambling, loan sharking, extortion, money laundering, prostitution, fraud, 
hijacking and fencing. Garden variety. Like that's standard. Yeah. Uh, They're also known for intimidating witnesses in trials and even making some of them disappear altogether. A popular method for getting rid of someone was to toss them overboard out in the Atlantic Ocean or the Gulf of Mexico. Members of this mob were notorious men like Ignacio Antonini, who had a lucrative heroin pipeline between France and Cuba, before he was shot in the face by rival mobsters he owed money to. <laughs> Back-to-back shot in the face <laughs> episodes. <laughs> Fuck it. Do we have the market cornered? On shooting people, <laughs> the number one shot in the face podcast <laughs> in America. You're listening, Florida Man Murders. Who gets shot in the face this week? Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also Carlo Gambino, Santo Traficante Senior, Vincent Loscalzo, Sammy the Bull, Jimmy the Gent Valenti, Meyer Lansky, Frank Regano, and Francis Daddy Frank Diaduce. Coño. All the I big like hitters. It. Big hitters there. Yeah. Sammy the Bull. Um, so with rampant mob criminality on the rise, our boy Judge Chillingsworth vowed to bring them to justice before they could plant their flag in West Palm Beach. Yeah, he was very, very vocal about this in public. This made other government officials and judges nervous for Chillingsworth. One of those judges was Judge Joseph Peel, a municipal judge who was familiar with the mob and their dangerous ways. Peel was a charismatic and ambitious man who wore expensive suits, had slicked back hair, and was loud and bombastic in public. He was incredibly ambitious. He loved women. He loved the white women. (laughs) Uh, Peel had his eyes on becoming state attorney and eventually governor of Florida. He was basically the opposite of the unassuming straight as an arrow Chillingworth. He made a name in the press for representing both white and black clients, which was rare back then. Nice. Uh, but Peel was also a shady-ass judge who never said no to a kickback. He would often take payoffs to rule in favor of a client. He once represented both sides in a divorce case, <laughs> taking money from both clients behind their backs. <clears throat> Uh, Joseph Peel would also often seduce female clients who were going through a divorce and at least three times convince him to pose a nude for him in his office. Uh, <laughs> I, want, I want to say I don't like this guy, but I see a lot of myself in he's, he's He's a complex individual. Yeah. Um, Peel was also very sloppy. One time he presided over a divorce hearing but forgot to sign the papers. The result was that the woman in the case eventually married another man and had a baby with him, but because Peel never signed the papers, she was illegal she was not legally divorced. <sighs> so her ex then sued her for being a bigamist. <laughs> sloppy Peel. Um, <laughs> sloppy that's that's known as a sloppy peel sloppy. in the business. That's the sloppy peel. Sloppy peel. Um, The reason Peel knew so much about the mob was because he was receiving kickbacks from mobsters, multiple underground bolitas games, and speakeasies. As municipal judge, Peel was responsible for signing warrants for cops who would go raid speakeasies and warehouses like 
that were holding contraband and bars that hosted bolitas tournaments. Uh, but once, you know, once he would sign a warrant and hand it over to the cops, cops would leave. Peel would then pick up a phone and call the mob to let them know the cops were on their way. <laughs> <laughs> and by the time the cops got there, the place would be empty. And every single time he did this, Peel would receive $500 from the mob. Uh, part of Peel's plans to get to the governor's mansion, including using his powerful mob friends, who he kept out of jail to help him uh, get to the governor's mansion. So when Chillingworth went missing, Peel said he knew exactly who had to be involved. The mob. <laughs> <laughs> um, All signs point to mob. <laughs> so Palm Beach County State Attorney Phil O'Connell got involved in the Chillingworths case. Um, O'Connell had over 100 cops from all over the state join the investigation. They used bloodhounds and search parties. He called in the Coast Guard to comb the waters of the Chillingworths home. O'Connell put up a $100,000 reward for any information that would lead to the whereabouts of the Chillingworths. And he later raised the reward to 250000 the sheriff that's a lot back then. Yeah, that's two fifty now is now a lot now, and it's nineteen fifty five. Yeah, that's like uh, that's a lot. It's a quarter of a million, <laughs> both then and now. Yes, that is accurate. <laughs> so, sheriff, the sheriff O'Connell assigned to lead the investigation of the Chillingworth case was a man named Sheriff John Kirk. Kirk had a reputation for being very corrupt, and it had been alleged he was responsible for several racially motivated killings. Drink white supremacy. <laughs> Said Palm Beach County solicitor Chuck Nugent, quote, John Kirk was very, very corrupt, and black people were scared to death of him. God knows how many of them he's killed just in cold blood. He never called them anything but the N-word. He had complete and utter disrespect for them. He never dare sat down at a table and have food with them. Said another government official, quote, a lot of black people who crossed John Kirk ended up in a canal. But so many black people went missing during Kirk's tenure, but he was never formally accused or held accountable. Kirk established himself as a powerful sheriff with some serious backing. He once told a judge when he took the sheriff's job that he was going to be paid $7,500 every week, something that was unheard of back then. Uh, Kirk felt that if he didn't make that much money in one week, he'd quit. And Kirk was reelected as sheriff three times, serving a total of 15 years. Sheesh. Shit, I want to make $7,500 a week now. <laughs> So uh, Ubering at the time, though, <laughs> he was postmating. So something better. DoorDash. Yeah, he was DoorDash. Kirk's investigation of the Chillingworth investigation. What? <laughs> Kirk's. Sorry. <laughs> Pardon? What? What, did, what, did um, you, what did I say? What? <laughs> what did I say that I wrote? <laughs> Who wrote this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, 
Well, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say here is his <laughs> his investigation his of the investigation. I get that. I'm with you, man. I've been with you for a long time. I'm still with you. Thanks, hey, man. <laughs> I'm just gonna read how read, I'm just gonna read, read how, how you wrote it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk's investigation of a Chillingworth investigation. <laughs> <laughs> In a long week. Um, I got this puppy man. It's fucking driving me crazy. Fucking. I gotta keep it. Uh, well, anyway, it was exposed as sloppy and without direction, much like my writing. Um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, local papers printed photos of Kirk's cops wandering around the crime scene before the forensics teams even had arrived. Another photo showed a couple of Kirk's men sitting on a Chillingworth's couch, legs kicked up, drinking soda. Soda! <laughs> Our finest bubbly. <laughs> Who wants a pop? Yeah. yeah hey, Tim, you want a pop? Nope. Hey, don't worry, boys. Just sit there and enjoy it. This sweet pop. This investigation is going to solve itself. Let's have a pop. Yeah, take a photo, somebody. Hey, Phil. <laughs> Take a photo of us. Look, leave me I'm going to put, put the, the lamp on my head. This is my hat now. It's my special hat. <laughs> hey, look at me. I got my feet on the couch. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, John Kirk himself walked all over the crime scene, so it was just a big fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> they really gave a complete shit about this. Yeah, I was about to say zero <laughs> This guy fucks. cared zero. <laughs> just as much about the crime scene as he did black people, this fucking guy. Hey, boys, I just take a leak all over the carpet over there. Who gives a shit? <laughs> hey, Peter, you gonna take a shit on the floor? You should, and I'll take a picture of it. <laughs> Have a soda while you do it. Uh, why are you wearing the Mrs. Clothes? <laughs> <laughs> back. Um, so under Kirk, lots of cops took kickbacks from all over, and cross burnings were common, as were lynchings. Jim Crow drink yeah, every fucking episode. Jim Crow was still very much thriving in Palm Beach County during his tenure, and Kirk had very little oversight. Nobody could tell him what to do. He consolidated his control and became one of the state's most powerful sheriffs by 1955. Moreover, everyone knew that Kirk, what Kirk was up to. They knew about his corruption, his racism, his alleged murders. Even judges knew about it. Judges like Curtis Chillingworth. Meanwhile, months before the Chillingworths went missing, a man named Charles Nelson was released from prison. Judge Chillingworth had sentenced Nelson to prison for murder back in 1931. Nelson immediately became the prime suspect, but O'Connell and the other investigators had a hard time finding any evidence that showed Nelson was involved. The case soon grew cold, and in two years, in 1957, Curtis and Marjorie Chillingworth were declared legally dead. Their daughters put their home up for sale, and put their own reward money out there for any information. Now, there are multiple cops and investigators that help solve this case. So, to since there's so many moving characters and cops and investigators, 
uh, and not like one specific cop. I'm going to call this cop collective Mark Cram in order of real life Mark <laughs> Cram, our American hero, in his honor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we'll probably do this a lot in this podcast in future episodes. When there's a collective, we'll just call him Officer Mark Cramp. So, can we get can Blessings. we like somehow petition to get a bridge named after yeah. Mark Cram? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I, I say just change Florida to Cramland. Cramland. <laughs> yeah, we'll get rid of get rid of Dade. And name it Cram. Yeah. Cram County. Miami Cram. Miami Cram, Cram, Cram County. County. Good. Cram. It flows a lot better. Alliterative. Yeah, it does. Rolls right off the <laughs> So, one year after the Chillingworths were declared legally dead, uh, one night in early November of 1958, a small-time bootlegger named Lou Jean Harvey left his home. He was seen... Ooh, I like that, Lou Jean. Lou Jean Harvey. Lou Jean Harvey. Like Eugene. Yeah, it's it's Eugene, but not quite. Here's a here's like a dumb it. question. Like 1958 was bootlegging necessary at that point? Like I don't know what Florida laws were. I don't know the Florida law. I'm I'm stupid about this, so I'm not trying to like fact check you like siege or anything like that. <laughs> but I'm just what, what's crazy? Genuinely is like, stupid. We gotta we gotta think about we gotta remember like just how wild wild west South Florida was like, in the 50s. Yeah, like you like you gotta realize like. I-95 didn't even go south of West Palm Beach until, like, 1979. Yeah. Like, that's that's crazy to think about. Like, that's, like, within our lifetimes. Yeah, yeah totally. You know? Totally is. Yeah, yeah, I guess there's, um, I don't know if there's prohibition, but maybe there were some sort of limits to what you could sell or, mm-hmm. or make or, <clears throat> I don't know, the content of alcohol and well, you you remember like even again within our lifetimes they had to like repeal hundred year old laws on the book for the state of Florida just so we could get different size beers yeah. in the state. Oh, you yeah. guys remember that? Like around like two thousand or mm-hmm. something like that. We like we couldn't have red stripe beer <laughs> in the state of Florida because it was like twelve point seven ounces as opposed to like yeah. sixteen. Well, you can't get forties there. I, I remember growing up there and like not you'd have to yeah, get a quart. Exactly. You couldn't get like a forty. And then I go to New York, I'd be like, What the fuck? You can get <laughs> yeah, it was like you could only get a like, gulp of beer. You could only get like sixteens and thirty twos, and that was it. Yeah, and then they had to like repeal that law from like freaking a hundred years ago yeah. or something. So who the hell knows, man? Yeah. However, whatever the rule, the law was, this guy Lou Jean Harvey was a bootlegger in nineteen. 19- also, Lou Jean is his Lou name. Jean. Lou Jean is awesome. Yeah, I like Lou Jean. Like <laughs> well, because like it's better, so much better than you. <laughs> Yes. Bluesy, bluesy Eugene. It's very, very bluesy. This guy's got some swag on him. He does. Yeah. Big hat. Huge hat. Oh, fuck yeah. With a fucking strap and a buckle and everything. Yeah. A little little bit of a pocket watch. A low swinging pocket watch. Dude, and he wore like yellow jackets. Like he was fucking Dick Tracy or some shit. (laughs) Little Jane. You guys are describing a very strange individual. (laughs) Um, <laughs> All of a sudden, he's the mask. He had one boot on and one sandal on, <laughs> and his face is green and his big 
very he wore socks on his hands. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, sometimes when Gene uh, walked around pants. <laughs> Did he? No, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I thought you were reading that. I was like, shit, we're back on. Okay, let's go. Uh, so anyway, this guy, Lou Gene Harvey, uh, he left his home and he was he was he was seen leaving his house with what was described by witnesses a quote mysterious companion. On November 3rd, acting on a tip from an anonymous caller, Detective Cram and his officers drove down to a canal just outside Palm Beach and fished a body out of the canal. The dead man was identified as Lou Jean Harvey. Sorry, fellas, he's dead. Man, fuck, that was quick. <laughs> it feels so bad you guys are building him up as his cutesy character <laughs> and he's fucking dead fucking short lived man I'm sorry he flies around <laughs> on a parachute <laughs> <laughs> like guys just stop it he's gonna be dead in like literally and 90 he was seconds. shot in the face <laughs> I mean he was he, he was uh, he was he was he was weighted down with chains <laughs> oh, and uh. a single bullet wound to the face that's it. how they found his body <laughs> <laughs> What's where are we go? What path are we going down here? We should oh, change sorry. the name of the podcast. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> yeah, just put a strike through. Just put a <laughs> Shot <in> the face. <laughs> Murders. Can we change the Twitter and the Instagram handle? This is how people get murdered in Florida, man. It's we don't like, fuck around. Sufficient. It's the the way of murdering du jour. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Detective Cram interviewed uh, Lou Jean Harvey's wife and learned from her that this mysterious companion <laughs> her husband had left the house with was a man named John Lynch. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which, the Tampa Bay Buck. <laughs> <laughs> I, that guy I wrote won my a notes. Super Bowl. And there's another uh, retired pro athlete that makes the pod. <laughs> Fucking John Lynch. The names are killing me on this one. I'm trying not to say anything. I've, I've bypassed at least five to six names I could have said some shit about. And mm-hmm. I just shit. Well, stopped. there's going to be more names, man. You got you to gotta, you gotta be able to build a, a Rolodex of suspects <laughs> to figure out who's the killer. That guy's the GM of the 49ers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, is it? Is he the Broncos too? Yeah, now he's the 49ers. 49ers. He's the guy that built that assholes. fucking defense. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we had Derek Fisher, and now we have John Lynch. We we spread it around on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and Craig Council, Craig Council. <laughs> walks in, Officer Craig Council. <laughs> Officer was on the case counsel. until he was shot in the face. Benito um, Santiago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Benito Santiago. Oh, I like Benito. Don't we all? Favorite, favorite Marlins. Yeah, Marlins. Threw from his knees. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, yeah, I saw that. Detective Cram uh, then brought in and interviewed other bootleggers that knew and worked with Harvey. And soon he learned that 
this John Lynch person was actually an alias for a man named Floyd Hotsapple. What? Say yeah. that again. <laughs> Floyd Hotsapple. Oh. <laughs> so wait, John, John Lynch, Lynch was alias was an for, alias for John was Floyd for Floyd Hotsapple. <laughs> We're gonna need three parts <laughs> for this podcast. You could have said need two is Dude, ambitious. If, if your name was Floyd Hotsapple, would you even need an alias? No one would believe you. <laughs> Everyone referred to Floyd Hotsapple by his nickname, which was Lucky. Oh my god, how many fucking names do you have? <laughs> uh, give me a minute. I got a bit of a spreadsheet here. And- so, uh, Roger, Lucky Floyd, <laughs> Lucky Floyd had come to Florida from Oklahoma after serving as a paratrooper in World War II, where his name was Sergeant Buttweather. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. Um, remember that name. Floyd, Lucky Floyd, had worked briefly in the Oklahoma City Police Department. He was eventually fired uh, from the. OKC Police Department after having getting busted for robbing three movie theaters in one night. Damn. (laughs) You're a cop and you're robbing all the movie theaters. Yeah. In one night. In one night. What? Yeah, we were robbing. (laughs) That hot oil is expensive. Juju beans. (laughs) Whoppers and raisinets. Got them all, boys. I got the big M&M's. Got some Twizzlers. Um, so from there, Lucky Floyd, he moved to Miami where he worked at the Biltmore Hotel in Coral Gables. Ooh. Everyone knows okay. the Biltmore. Yes. And there he met and hooked up with a married woman named Mary Bickford. Mary, Mary Bickford. Uh, soon they moved to West Palm Beach where Lucky Floyd got a job as a mechanic. Mary became a bartender at the Chi-Chi Club, which is basically an underground strip club. And it which was at the now chi- known as the Cheetah today. It's a precursor to Tootsies. <laughs> um, it was at the Chi-Chi Club that Lucky Floyd met and became friendly with people in the underworld. He also met wealthy and powerful men who frequented the Chi-Chi Club. Uh, through these connections, Lucky Floyd joined the Young Republicans of West Palm Beach. <laughs> <laughs> and he was also a Cub Scout master. This shit writes itself. Oh, fuck it, eh? <laughs> Fucking people, man. Ne- never stops. Never begins, never stops. Uh, in 1952, Lucky Floyd was sued over a default car loan. And the judge that presided over that case was our boy, Judge Curtis Chillingworth. But Chillingworth actually ruled in favor of Lucky Floyd. It was during this lawsuit case. Lucky Floyd met his so-called benefactor, a powerful and wealthy Palm Beachian. Is that a word? Palm Beachian? Yeah. Um, Sounds um, like Palm Beacher. Wealthy Palm Beacher. Um, Palm (laughs) Beachian? The two men would often hit the town together, drinking at moonshiners, hitting the clubs, and they basically became two peas in a pod. 
Soon, Lucky Floyd learned that his benefactor had incurred a debt in a racing bet. The debt was owed to a Traficante mob-connected man, and the benefactor, although wealthy, simply did not have the cash to pay off his his debt. So, as to not wanting to owe the mob money and get shot in the face, (laughs) the benefactor hatched himself a plan. He would take out a double indemnity life insurance policy on his business partner and then have his partner killed so he could collect on the insurance and then <laughs> pay off pretty good. the guy he would money. <laughs> Fucking genius. That's how, that's how that's indemnity genius. works. Uh, oh, yeah. So <laughs> the benefactor. How about this? Get into this insurance plan and uh, should you die, I get money. <laughs> All right. I'll sign it. <laughs> X. Um, the benefactor asked Lucky Floyd to help him carry out the plot. Lucky Floyd brought on a cr- brought on a crooked insurance agent he knew, named another name, James Yenzer. All right, that's a fine. <laughs> that's okay, Dave. Like nothing to say there, really. So the three men forged uh, the insurance papers. And the amount came to $100,000. That's more insurance than the clown murderers. It is. Way, it's like double. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. In 1990. No. Um, fucking Mike Warren. Um, so the plot they hatched involved driving outside of West Palm. So they're going to drive outside of West Palm to a canal. And then fill a bathtub with water from that canal. Then they would go back and beat the shit out of the business partner until he passed out. And then they would drown him in the bathtub. Filled with the special canal water from the glades. Yeah, that's totally unnecessary. Just get normal water, like, right? Well, they they would then they would then drive out back to the canal and dump the body in the canal, you know, where the water had come from. And this would establish a time of death for the coroner while the men were back at West Palm Beach giving them an alibi and making the death look like an accidental drowning. You know crimes are definitely going to work when you overthink them like this. <laughs> I mean, I kind of get it, but it's like the water has like displacement and stuff like, I guess... If you, I don't know, it seems a little wonky. Dude, listen, if I, guys, I've got a body that I need to hide. Let's go out to fucking Bell Glade and fill up a bathtub full of water and bring it back here. Well, then you, but he's still alive. And then you throw him in the tub while he's alive and he drowns in that. So he has a canal in his lungs. canal in his lungs. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Okay. Even though, how do you explain the fact that he's gotten the shit kicked out of him? He, they pull him out of the water. That part's, yeah. That part's a little tricky. <laughs> they didn't think through that. I got an idea. Let's get a Home Depot bucket and just dunk his head in there until he can't. He's got... I mean, it's just unnecessary to be toting around a goddamn bathtub all over the county. <laughs> that part, yeah. Don't spill water, James. We need it. <laughs> okay. Um, so the insurance agent Yenzer 
Uh, it was his job to beat the partner up unconscious, and then unconscious, and then Floyd and the benefactor would come by, grab the knocked out partner, and then dunk his head into the tub of water. That was the plan. I love how we just glossed over that, like you know, because we're all from fucking South Florida. That, like, you know, the insurance agent is the one who came up with the plan. <laughs> the guy. Yeah, and he's the one, like, beating the shit out of the guy. <laughs> that just hit me right now. Well, like, it, 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 def- like, it definitely feels like they, the, the benefactor and Floyd told the insurance guy, you're doing it. Um, and he's like, all right, well, do whatever. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, insurance, man. Yeah, I'll just get cut. So Yenzer arrived to the business partner's house. Um, so apparently they all knew each other and Yenzer went in, uh, without thinking ahead of how exactly he was going to beat the man up. (laughs) It's a a little bit of an elaborate plan. So (laughs) all the thinking was done by the, about the bathtub. And then the rest was like, all right, we're going to have to wing it. (laughs) Okay. We got the bathtub. Now I I make make it up as you go. I walk in and, and I, what do I do? So, yeah, he went in without thinking ahead. Um, so he made up an excuse about needing to take a shower. And he asked the man if he could use his bathroom. Normal. Normal behavior. <laughs> Guy walks in your house. Can I take a shower in your room? Hey, how's it going, Phil? Shower? <laughs> Lucky. Hey, can I take a shower? If I'm being perfectly honest with you, I have done that. It's fair. I've, I've done the same. Okay. So, how you doing? You mind if I use your shower? <laughs> Um, so once inside the bathroom Yenzer took off a sock and placed a bar of soap inside it oh my god this was how he was going to beat the guy up so Yenzer came out comes out of the bathtub and he comes out swinging (laughs) (laughs) he swung the sock at the man and hit him hard across the head the man (laughs) asked Say, what gives? <laughs> what the hell did you do that for? Say, what gives, say? What did you do that for, say? <laughs> it's, it's, say, what gives? <laughs> that really smarts. <laughs> <laughs> so Yenzer panicked. And he said that he saw a spider on the man's head. And that's why he hit him with a Roger spider. spider. <laughs> <laughs> that spider was trying to tell me, like, the future. <laughs> it was implicating the murder what happened. And I fucking destroyed him with my chocolate. <laughs> you, guys, you guys do a podcast about I've, murder. I've traveled 70 years. <laughs> and then, whap, and he's that's it. It's oozing down my garage wall. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor spider. He just wanted to give you a yeah. message. Um, so, yeah, he told him there's a spider in his head. That's why I hit you with a <laughs> sock with bar of soap in it. So the business partner is like, what the fuck, whatever. He turned back to do whatever he was doing. Yenzer then hit the man across the head with the soap <laughs> in the sock again. Another spider. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. There's another spider. What are the fucking odds? Hey. So, he again used the same excuse. That there was a spider on his head. So the partner kicked Yenzer out of his house. <laughs> <laughs> that was that. 
So <laughs> sock me two times in the head. <laughs> shame on me. Shame on but me. not three times, all right? You want you want the soap back though? Now you can keep that. Yeah. And your disgusting sock. I can't get over the same way gives. <laughs> I don't know why. That's what it said, man. <laughs> It's like I'd be like, yo, what the fuck? Like, that is the, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, yo, what the fuck? Exactly. Like, what say, what gives? Say. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a real hollapalooza. <laughs> um, so. Roger's currently <laughs> choking himself out. <laughs> He's just so, like, James Cagney or some shit. Like, it's very time-specific. <laughs> so... <laughs> So the three men had to go to a plan B, um, obviously. The benefactor called his, bin- his, called his business partner back, <clears throat> and he told him to meet him at the Chi-Chi Club, where the owner of the club was going to give them booze and cocaine. So Say What Gives guy was like, hmm, sounds, sounds great. Delicious. <laughs> uh, he bought this whole thing, so he drove and met the benefactor at the Chi-Chi as requested. When he got there, the benefactor told him to go inside the club, and he did. When he walked in, Lucky Floyd was waiting for him. Lucky bashed the man across the head with a big stick over and over again, a big wooden stick. Dude, Yen's are like, stay home, buddy. There was a... <laughs> well, this, was, this was Lucky doing this. <clears throat> oh wait, okay, yeah, yeah, but Yenzer is the guy who like left his own home, right? Like after after he got hit in the head twice, or is another guy? Sorry. No, well, this is the no, this is the is the business partner, the guy who uh-huh. got Yenzer was the guy who tried to hit him. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. okay, got it. Got Yenzer is the sorry the agent. There's a lot so of you don't names. use a bar. I know there's so a lot of names. You use a stick. Yeah, lucky. He was like, you got to use a stick. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so he kept hitting the guy over and over with his stick, and he's bashing him across the head. And there was blood everywhere, but the business partner would not go down. This fucking guy is so annoying. He staggered out of the club. He's a tank. <laughs> this guy's Christian Okoye. Christian <laughs> Okoye in fucking Tecmo Bowl. Uh, Holy fuck, you can't bring this guy down. <laughs> so the business partner staggered out of the club and walked away. Bleeding everywhere. What gives? <laughs> this, this is not my night. No. <laughs> so the benefactor must have had an attack of conscience because he drove his business partner to the emergency room. I had no idea this was going to happen. <laughs> Both times. <laughs> Uh, the man, you know, survived both attacks, um, and the, actually, the the doctors were amazed that this guy survived such a crazy attack the second time. Anyway, so Floyd was then arrested for attempted murder, uh, but he would be acquitted on all charges. Lucky Floyd. So in September 1959. After having escaped prison time for attempted murder, Lucky Floyd and James Yenzer met up at a speakeasy to grab some drinks. And it was during this meetup where Lucky brought up Yenzer's failure to put the benefactor's partner down. He was just making fun of him for the whole soap in the sock thing. 
<laughs> um, Lucky started boasting about how he had killed Germans in the war and how the only reason the two of them were able to work for a person like the benefactor was because Lucky knew people and knew things. Then, as the night got later and Lucky got more and more drunk, the conversation turned to the Chillingworth case, which was big news at the time. Uh, Yenzer talked about what most people during that time would say about the case, that it was a big mystery and no one knew what had happened. What gives? <laughs> then, Lucky, feeling boastful and still tipsy, said something that struck Yenzer as strange. He said, quote, Man, there's a hole out there in that ocean that nobody's found the bottom of. Mm. Lucky then said something else. He told Yenzer he knew exactly what happened to the Chillingworths. He said that it was their boss, the benefactor, who had the judge and his wife killed. <laughs> Now, thinking Lucky was drunk and full of shit, Yenzer went to the benefactor's home the next day and laughingly told him what Lucky Floyd had told him at the bar. But the benefactor didn't laugh. He sat back in his seat, looked at Yenzer, and said nothing. Then he finally broke the silence and offered Yenzer $8,000 to go and kill Lucky Floyd. And that is the end of part one of Who Killed the West Palm Beach Judge and His Wife. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. My dog's not happy about the ending either. <laughs> He's like, keep, keep going. <laughs> Jack is pissed off. <laughs> Everybody, this is your friend Siege, and on behalf of the guys at Five Reasons Sports, I'd like to thank you for listening to our ridiculousness. You can follow the show on Twitter at FL Man Murders and on Instagram at Florida Man Murders Pod. Follow Chris on Twitter at By Chris Joseph and on Instagram at Chris Joseph13. Give Roger a follow on Twitter at Dat Roro Kid. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, OnlyFans, whatever, all at Siegeness. Do us a solid and hit that subscribe button. Give us a rating, five stars if you're feeling sassy. Leave us a comment and let us know what mysterious Florida mayhem you'd like to hear us talk about. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, steal a stranger's phone and subscribe for them. The only way this grows is with your help. Love you. Mean it. Bye. The Florida Man Murders is a five-reason sports production. Researched, written, and produced by Chris Joseph. Music by Roger Rimada. All source material can be found by visiting floridamanmurders.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, kids, only assholes murder. So, don't be an asshole.